All right, today we're concluding a series called Well With God, and we've been talking about one decision each week that you could possibly make that would actually make your life better, something that you can do in different areas of your life, your physical health, your mental health, your emotional health, your spiritual health. We've been going through all of those different topics, giving you one thing that you can do each week that would actually increase or make your life better. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to those messages because they've really been life-changing decisions, and I hope you've been applying them to your life. But today we're going to talk about the intellect. We're going to talk about your brain. And specifically, we're going to talk about discipline your brain. Discipline your brain. Because of the spiritual crisis that our world is in today, there's a crisis that threatens every one of us, and it threatens every area of our life. And it's, it's been on the rise. I don't know if you've noticed it, but it's called a mental health crisis. And we're facing it unlike ever before. Families are falling apart because of mental health. In our families, it's no longer safe for a family to be able to declare, this is what's good and this is what's bad, this is what's right, this is what's wrong. Families can't sit down at the table and talk about what's healthy and what's not healthy anymore without huge conflict. And families are dividing. Churches are dividing because of mental health. There are entire church denominations that are splitting, that have been together for hundreds of years because of mental health issues. And local churches are dividing over it. Uh, it's, it's no longer compassionate to treat mental health anymore. And it's no longer even compassionate to treat, treat spiritual illness anymore. You have to pretend that everything is okay, that everything is all right, when really it needs to be treated. Our national security is at risk. I don't know if you understand this, but we have a problem. Who is going to be in our military in the next generation? I'm going to read a quote to you from military.com. This is an article that was written last year, and, and it's posted on military.com. It says, a new study from the Pentagon shows that 77% of young Americans would not qualify for military service without a waiver due to being overweight, using drugs, or having mental and physical health problems. 77% of our current generation would not qualify. And how many of them actually want to be in the military? That's scary. This is a huge, huge issue, and it's not being addressed. So let's start here. We start with what the Bible says, with what God says about this. Intellectual wellness begins when a human recognizes that God is God and I am not. Sanity doesn't begin until somebody says, okay, he's God. There is a God, he is God, and I'm not it. That's when sanity begins. And, and without that at the core of your life, nothing makes sense in your life. It's like trying to do math without the number one existing. Imagine that. You would be able to have a bunch of numbers, but none of them would ever make sense. None of them would ever make, come together properly without one existing, because one is at the foundation of it all. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God is number one. And without God number one in your life, your life doesn't make sense. Nothing's going to add up. The stuff that you've experienced in life, your, your difficult things as well as the good things, all of it doesn't make sense. It's like a puzzle that can't get put together because that number one piece is really missing in your life. And, and worse than that, when you're searching for that number one piece in your life, you try so many different things trying to fill that spot that you end up messing up everything in your life. You become hopeless, insecure, you become addicted, you change your God-given identity to something else, and you become confused. But when you place Him at the core of your life, number one, everything begins to make sense. Your whole life just becomes a story that now makes sense. There are two possibilities of, for having poor intellect. One is this. Your physical brain is not healthy. And sometimes that's because of genetics, 
Sometimes it's because of trauma that you experienced when you were young. Sometimes it's because of your environment that you grew up in. If you had a mold-infested environment that you grew up in, it affects your brain. It shows up in it. Maybe it was your lifestyle, the things that you did, the things that you put into your brain. Maybe you grew up in the 60s and it was a problem for you. Nobody got that. Or it could be that your brain is undisciplined. And I'm going to talk to you today about disciplining your brain because even if the things that I just talked about have happened to you, if you will begin to discipline your brain, you will be able to even begin to overcome some of those issues and some of those problems that, you know, trauma, bad health, bad situations, maybe a genetic disorder, whatever it was that has caused you to have a bad brain, you would be able to overcome some of those things. How many of you want to be better? So, first, we've got to understand that your brain is undisciplined when you're not taking charge of it. The good news is this. You can. You begin to tell your brain where to go, what to think, what to do, how to act, how to react, so let's talk today real quick about things that you can do on how to increase your brain health before we get into some of the other stuff. Let's talk about this. This is a little bit lengthy, so are you guys ready? Buckle up, breathe deep. This is good information. It's great information if you'll apply it. All right. Um, there's a brain doctor that I was listening to, and he talks about how he went to his daughter. She was seven years old. He went to her class, and he was going to be talking to the class about the brain and helping these kids to just have this on their radar. This is an important issue. And he wrote on the board 20 things, and he said, I want you guys to put these in two categories, good for the brain, bad for the brain. And they got 19 out of 20 right. So what I'm talking to you about today, it's really common sense, but these are things we just don't think about. You already really know what's good for your brain and what's not. So let's start with this. Is breathing exercises good for your brain? Absolutely. Breathing is good. The worst thing you can do for your brain is to starve it from oxygen, which means what? The best thing you can do is give it oxygen. So have some breathing. Uh, if you, yeah, there's, there's great ways that you can just do some breathing treatments. One of the, one of the uh, suggestions was a 15-second thing. You breathe in. For eight seconds, so a slow breath for eight seconds, hold it for one and a half, let it out in four seconds, and then a second and a half, hold it again. And then breathe in. Do that about four or five times, and then do that four or five times a day. You will have given your brain tons of oxygen health for the day. Secondly, you guys are going to love this one, especially this weekend. I'm almost embarrassed to even say it. Lose weight. Yeah, you're welcome. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And why? How does that affect your brain? You see, as your weight goes up, your blood flow to the brain lessens. It goes down. It prematurely ages your brain, and it increases inflammation. And inflammation causes a lot of problems in your life. And your brain begins to store toxins, and your brain physically, you're going to hate this, your brain physically shrinks the larger you get. That's scary. All right, number three. Man, you guys are going to love me after today. You ready? Lay off the sugar. Ugh. Why? Because sugar is pro-inflammatory. High blood sugar levels erode your blood vessels, which lower the blood flow to your brain. Low blood flow to your brain, which means also low oxygen, because the blood carries the oxygen to your brain, and your brain needs tons of oxygen. So if you don't have enough blood going to your brain, your brain is starving. And when you eat sugar, that's the long-term result of it. And not only that, but sugar is just the gateway drug to diabetes and obesity, and not to mention the inflammation part of it. Inflammation causes depression and dementia. Poof. Lay off the sugar. Moderately, right? All right, here's another one. 
um, I don't know where you sit on this one. Stop drinking alcohol. Now, let me make a statement here. This is what they're saying, and I'm, this is a quote from a doctor. Alcohol causes brain damage. I'm not even talking about the religious side of this. You understand? I'm talking about a physical side. of, it. And this, this is what they said. Any alcohol causes brain damage. It's absolutely amazing what it does. Uh, it disrupts the white matter in your brain. And the white matter is the part of your brain that actually is the transmitter part. It transmits information and impulses. And if you don't have that kind of communication going on in your brain, then you're missing out on a bunch of stuff. You're missing out on a lot of opportunities. And just another reason to throw in there, the American Cancer Society put this out not too long ago, that any alcohol consumption increases your risk of, of seven different types of cancer. That's scary, isn't it? All right. I told you you're going to love me after today. All right. Here's the, uh, this one. Yeah, the first service groaned after I said this one. So here we go. Caffeine. <laughs> John's out. <laughs> and nicotine. All right. I'm putting those together so we can. All right. So why? Why is it a problem? Because they restrict blood flow. You need blood to the brain. Listen, if you have any of your extremities that are lacking in blood flow, your brain is lacking in blood flow. We don't think about the brain because the brain is just there and we just trust that it's doing its job and everything's fine. I have a thought. My brain's working. Wait a second. Is it getting what it needs? You lack blood flow to your brain. Your brain is starving oxygen and it's starving for life. And nicotine and caffeine will restrict the blood flow. And let me give you this, though. Um, 100 milligrams, they say, of, of caffeine a day is okay. doesn't really affect it. But if you get a venti coffee from Starbucks, guess how many milligrams of caffeine is in one cup of that? I looked it up. You can look it up, too. 410. Ouch. What's that doing to us? No wonder we're going crazy. It's crazy. All right, here's another one. Get more active. All right, so those are net, these are things that we know. But you've got to understand this gets your brain moving. It gets your brain pumping blood through it. Sports, activity, especially like racket sports. Those are the ones that, the, those, the sports help you to get your brain blood and oxygen. It makes a difference. One of the keys to brain health is increased blood flow, and it's going to make a difference. Why? Because Scripture says this especially, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And if you want your, your flesh, your brain to be good, give it some blood. All right. Here's another one. Get good sleep. I like this one. This one's kind of interesting. Did you know that your brain has a car wash in it? It's not a car wash. It's actually a brain wash. How many of you want to be brainwashed? Okay. Well, let me tell you, you're in the right church for that. <laughs> no, when you go to sleep, that is the time that the brain's fluid system, this is so cool, I did not know this, the brain's fluid system opens up when you go to sleep, and it doesn't do it when you're awake. And it's there to begin to flush out all of the chemicals and all of the toxins that you accumulated in your brain throughout the day. And so if you're not getting enough sleep, what's happening? Those toxins and chemicals are stuck in your brain and they're not going, they're not going anywhere. That's not healthy. You have to get enough sleep. Another one, deal with the trauma in your life. Deal with it. Don't just hold on to it. Don't just ignore it. You've got, to, you've got to deal with the trauma in your life, something that happened years ago that you're holding on to. If you have unforgiveness, if you've got somebody that you're still angry with, if you're still hurting over situations, if that time of year comes around and you're still feeling it intensely, you're not dealing with it. Yes, it's going to take time, and sometimes it takes years to deal with those things, but you've got to deal with it. Don't let it go. And if you've got trauma in your life and you're not dealing with it, it's affecting your brain in ways that you don't even know. Um, after Angela passed away, I spent, well, the, for like two weeks later, one of my friends, his wife passed away as well. 
and I needed my suit that I had gone, that I had used for Angela's memorial. I have one spot in my closet for all of my suits, just one spot. When I take my suit off, that's where it's going to go. So I went into my closet to get my suit pants, and I'm like, where are my suit pants? I started looking all over the closet. I looked between every shirt, everything. I could not find my suit pants anywhere. I'm thinking, good Lord, I know I left the memorial with my pants on. I'm sure that I did. I came home with my pants that night, I'm sure. I went and asked the kids, and the kids were like, no, Dad, we haven't seen your suit pants. I went for three months, and I promise you, I tore my closet apart at least three times over those few months looking for those suit pants. And one day I walked into the closet, and there were my suit pants hanging exactly where they were supposed to be hanging. I'm like, what? I went out, I asked the kids, who put my suit pants in the closet? They thought I was crazy. I was. My brain wasn't allowing me to see that pair of pants for some reason. I don't understand it. I've had other people tell me they've had similar experiences. I was looking right through them as though they didn't exist. When you have trauma in your life, it affects you in ways that you don't have a clue. And you've got to deal with it. It affects your brain. Another one, get friends. Do you think friends help your brain? Loneliness is said to have accelerated dementia exponentially. And we're living in a very lonely society right now, aren't we? Get friends, have friends, be a part of your church family, go out to eat together. Whatever you can do to be with people, be with people. And the last one, you're going to love this, take care of your teeth. There you go. Gum disease causes inflammation. Inflammation causes depression. If you're depressed, check your gums. All right. So your brain is involved in everything that you do. It's involved in everything. It's involved in your thinking, your feeling, your acting, your reacting in life, your getting along with people. And, And knowing that is so important. Being aware that you have the ability to do something about your brain health, to think better to react better, to have better relationships. When they scan the brains of people who have done mass murders, they're able to look and see. They're like, oh my goodness, we see it. Look at how unhealthy this brain is. And they can see why they committed these murders. So there are some things that you can do instantly today, starting today, that will make a difference. The key, though, is brain discipline. If you want mental health, you begin to discipline your brain. You, the real you, the supervisor, you can talk to yourself. You can tell yourself what to think about. You can tell yourself, listen, your brain is not you. It's the hard drive, software, more like, I don't know. God's pretty amazing, isn't he? It's soft. Did you know your brain is the consistency of like soft butter? You got to protect it. And and that is capable of storing your life in it. But that's not who you are. Who you are is who tells your brain what to think and what you are the supervisor. And the question is are you doing a good job supervising? You've got to talk to yourself. You've got to decide what you're thinking and not thinking about. You can stop your thoughts. You can start your thoughts. And listen, if you don't do it, your brain is going to run and it will ruin your life. Why? Because your brain is lazy. By default, your brain is going to take the easy route out. It's going to do the easy thing every time, the path of least resistance. It doesn't like to work. It doesn't like problem solving. It doesn't like thinking through things. In fact, it gets offended when it has to stop and think. It should not have to think about this. Marriage should be easy. Raising kids should be easy. Doing my job should be easy. Coming to church should be easy. Getting to know God should be easy. Everything should be easy as far as your brain is concerned. And you've got to tell your brain, no, it's time for you to be whipped in shape, right? Your brain is like a child. Children have to be wrangled in. Eli, he's always looking for fun. 
He's like, what's up next? You know, where can I go? He goes over here and he's, he's doing something until he gets into trouble. Then he goes over here and he's doing something until he gets into trouble. And he's always looking for fun, though. He's always looking for something new and exciting to experience. And your brain is like that. It won't do work unless it's going to try to find some fun. It will do it all, you know, for that. Try to get a kid off the couch to go rake the yard. You got to wrangle them in. You got to force them. You got to make your brain do the things that need to be done. And here's the thing no one else is going to do it for you, not even God. It's your choice. What you think about, what you do with your brain, what you do with your thoughts, what you do with your life, it's your choice. Your brain is like an eight-year-old, wants to experience everything. In the Bible, there's a story of the first murder. You remember that, Cain and Abel? And this story, it's so interesting. You know, I talked about the mass murder brain people. This is not a story like that. In fact, if they scanned Cain's brain, he probably had one of the healthiest brains out there. This, it wasn't that he grew up and had a lot of mercury in his brain or something. He didn't grow up with a lot of mold in his house. He didn't have any of that stuff. He didn't grow up with parents that had genes that they passed down that were messed up. His parents had the best brains ever because they were the first ones. They were the prototype, right? And it wasn't because he was eating wrong all of his life. So we know all of that wasn't an issue for Cain. But yet this guy committed murder. He murdered his own brother. How in the world did that happen? It happened because he didn't discipline his brain. He didn't discipline his thinking. Cain killed his brother Abel because he just wouldn't discipline himself. We know this because of the story that was before that. God gave them an opportunity to do something to show love towards him. And Cain brought a sacrifice that wasn't worthy of God. It didn't bring his best. And God called him on it. And it caused It caused Cain to just go insane. And instead of right thinking, instead of him doing what needed to happen, he went out and killed his brother. And look at what God said to him. God personally went to him before he killed his brother. And look what he said. He said, what in the world are you thinking? What's wrong with you? Why do you have such an angry look on your face, Cain? If you had done the right thing, you'd be smiling by now. God's like, if you would just do the right thing, you'd be happy. If you just listened to me, you'd be happy. But you did the wrong thing, and now sin is waiting to attack you like a lion. Sin wants to destroy you, but don't let it. God is begging us to take captive our thoughts and to say, No, I'm not going to think that way. I'm going to think right. But Cain took the easy road. He let his brain just take over and do whatever it wanted to do. And the brain will do, your brain will do whatever you allow it to do. Well, I just can't stop thinking about this. Yes, you can. Well, I just can't stop doing this. Yes, you can. You can. Well, I've always been negative. Okay, but you don't have to be. Well, I've always ignored problems. Instead of dealing with them, we don't have to. Well, I've always had an anger issue. You don't have to. You're the supervisor of your brain. Are you sitting down on the job? Are you asleep? Is your brain just doing whatever it wants to do? Because if it is, your relationships are struggling. Severely, I promise you. The people in your life are hurting. and Whatever you let it get away with, it will. And you have to take captive your thoughts and bring them into the realm of truth And survey them. So in your brain are highways of thoughts. These are paths in your brain that are processing your life. And the question is this. Are you building positive highways or negative highways? What are you building? And here's another question. Are you building accurate highways? Or are you building distorted highways? Untruthful highways. How do you see life? Do you see life different than what really happened, or do you see life as truth, what really happened? Is life being filtered through such a corrupt heart that 
when you say this is what happened, the people around you are going, what? Do everybody feel like you're gaslighting them? Like they're the crazy ones and yeah. Does your thinking really reflect what's going on around you? If you get up and turn on the news to start your day, is that an accurate picture of reality? No, they're just telling you what they want you to hear. You do realize that, don't you? They want ratings. I was talking to a lady one time, and her daughter was, um, this is funny because I'm not going to be political here. I promise. Oh, you guys are okay with it. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Her daughter was the babysitter for a couple up in New York City. And this couple, the husband was the executive, one executive at either Fox or CNN, and the wife was an executive at either Fox or CNN. Husband and wife. Isn't that funny? And so she asked him one day, she finally got the courage to ask him. She said, I'm sorry, but how does this work? (laughs) Two totally opposite ends of the spectrum here. How does this work in your marriage? They said, oh, it's just broadcasting. We're just giving the people what they want to hear. That's straight out of the horse's mouth right there. So here's what they say. If you wake up and start the day with the news. They say that you're 27, the people that do that are 27% unhappier in the afternoon. So I looked to see, I couldn't find any statistic on this, but I wonder what the statistic is for those who start their day with some scripture and prayer, a devotion. Okay, let's just say it's, 27% better. That's like 54% better than starting the day with the news. So choose what's going in your brain. Choose to not thrive on hearing the negative. You understand that's why the news is what it is. They're going to tell you everything that's bad going on because it gets ratings. You lock in on it. I need to know what the threat is today. There are two reasons why we, our brain is bent on paying attention to the negative. Number one is it gives the appearance of being able to protect myself. If I know what the threat is, then maybe I can protect myself today. And so our brain locks in on it. We need to know that information. But secondly, it's knowing the negative stimulates the brain. There's chemicals that are reacting to it. And we feel it and it stimulates us. Say you grew up in a home that was very negative, very stressful, and maybe your parents were fighting all the time. That environment can train your brain to be hyperactive. And when that happens, you're constantly looking for the negative. You're constantly looking for danger. You're constantly threatened and you're used to it because you were used to waiting for dad's car to drive up in the driveway and feel threatened by it. And you needed to deal with that in your own heart and as a kid. And, and growing up like that, you got accustomed to being that way. And so what happens is you walk into a room and instead of being able to walk in and see the good that's in the room and enjoy the people that are in the room, you walk in and see who is not paying attention to you. Maybe somebody was turning to burp and, and they, you thought they turned away from you and it had nothing to do with you at all. That was a bad illustration. <laughs> Sorry, it just comes out every now and then. So I like this. Well, ladies, when you come home, maybe you've been out for a night with your friends or maybe you were at a meeting or something and your husband was home with the kids and, and, you know, he's supposed to have the kids in bed and all of that stuff, right? You walk in and the lights are all out, the TV is on and the living room is just changed all around. There's popcorn all over the floor. The kids have been drinking Coke or something and They're sitting there laughing and having a great time. What is your first reaction? Is it positive or negative? What could the positive be? I have a husband that loves our kids. (laughs) And they're bonding. 
that's a huge positive, especially in today's culture, right? But what happens? Flip the light switch on. Hitler's home. <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's, it's so easy to go, what is wrong with you? So knowing that you come into the, to the room with those things happening in your brain, and it could be healthier, it could be better, you could think better, you could think a lot more peaceful. And listen, your life would be so much more happy. What kind of people did Jesus have in mind when he was hanging on the cross? Oh, I just hope I get a bunch of depressed and angry and judgmental people. People who just think bad things all the time. That's what I want. Yeah. That's not what he had in mind when he was hanging on the cross. I want people that love each other, that are at peace. People that think rational and sane. But he's not going to do it for you. As much as we would like him to, he's not going to do that for you. If you grew up with emotional trauma, it's going to take brain discipline for you to create new ways of thinking, to, you, to, uh, to bring healing to your life. You have to do it intentionally. Because nobody's going to do it for you. Unresolved trauma creates people that are called conflict seekers. Anybody know a conflict seeker? Anybody got one in your family? I heard a lot of yes, but nobody's willing to raise their hand. <laughs> conflict seekers poke, 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 poke until they make someone mad. Why? Because they don't feel at ease until someone's mad. They don't feel at ease until they know what the current conflict is. They need it. They breed on it. And it's difficult. And conflict seekers need conflict to feel alive. They need it. And if you're a conflict seeker, listen to what your husband has said. Listen to your, what your wife has said. Listen to what your children have said. If you walk into the room and every time that's the first thing they hear, you're looking for conflict. You're needing it. And it, listen, I'm not trying to say that, that, it's, it, that, that you're mental. I'm trying to say that this is something that can be fixed. It is within your control. And you can be happy. You can be happy. You can be at peace. If every time you walk into church, all you see is something negative, that's, that's a problem. You can fix that. When you're stuck in this mode, you'll even make up things to create conflict. I remember one time, Angela and I, we had this lady from the church. She came over one night. She called us, and she was crying, and we could hardly understand her. said, come on over. She came over, and, and she was just sobbing. She was sure her husband was having an affair with another lady in the church. We're like, oh, God. Oh, I did not want this, you know. And so we helped her that night. But come to find out, I did some investigation. It just wasn't true. Wasn't true at all. And your brain will make up conflict. It will make up something that's not even true. Um, honestly, I've had people come up to me that have sat in the chairs right where you are. And they had absolutely made up something that I had done that was not true. Something based upon their past, they imposed it on me, and they completely made it up. just wasn't true. And some of it was crazy. Yeah, you don't have a clue what I get sometimes. <laughs> I know Harvey does. Listen, when you have a bad or you have a negative thought, your brain releases chemicals. And it's easy to get addicted to those chemicals. As good as they make you feel, you also need to know that those chemicals reduce activity in your cerebellum. And that's the part of your brain which controls your balance. It controls your coordination. It controls your working relationships. It controls your speed of thought, your ability to think clearly. All of that is affected when you begin to think negatively. And when your prefrontal cortex shrinks, 
you, you have a problem accessing your memories, you can't access your values, and you have a hard time making really good decisions when you're missing those parts. When you have a positive thought, though, a hopeful thought, a loving thought, your brain opens up. You can have creativity. You can have thoughtfulness. There's peace. There's happiness. Even joy. You can make it through struggles. You can make it through difficult times by putting a positive spin on things. Knowing that everything's going to be okay, even if it doesn't work out okay on this earth, you know it's going to be okay there. You can put a positive spin based upon the Word of God for anything and everything you're going through. You have to decide to create good and new paths, truthful paths in your times of, in, in your brain and, and kill the automatic negative thoughts that steal your happiness. Understand the, and process your traumas in life. Know what God says about your traumas. Learn what those are. Go to a, a support class. Come and talk to us. We'll help you through it. Listen to what's going on in God's Word and read it. And, and by all means, treat whatever psychiatric help, things that you might have. If there's a disorder of any sort, come on, treat it. Go to the doctor. Get somebody referred to you. There may be some medicine, but always start with natural stuff, you know? But maybe you need a medicine. I don't know. But there's always an option there. And ask God for direction. Ask God for the right doctors. Ask God for the right counselors. Ask God for all the information that you need to, to be able to overcome these things. All right, so let me give you a tool real quick. This is a simple tool. This is doctor-given, all right? This isn't something I made up. This is something that a doctor gave us, a tool that you can use to help you switch from negative thought thinking to positive thinking. Listen, negative thoughts are habit. No, it's it, my mom had it, my grandma had it, my dad had it, my grandpa, whoever it was. You can't blame it on them. You're the supervisor of your thoughts. So you take control of it. Negative thoughts are a habit, which means what? Positive thoughts are also a habit. And it takes time for you to begin positive thinking. So whenever you feel sad, mad, nervous, or out of control, here are the steps to take. Number one, write it down. What is the thought that you had? Write it down. Don't skip this. Write it down. Take notes on your phone. All right, step number one. God doesn't love me. Okay? That's a negative thought. That's a huge thought. You come into church, one of the first things I always try to tell you is God loves you. And the first thing you might do if that's what you want to believe is, John's wrong. God doesn't love me. All right? Number two, ask yourself, is this information true? Is what I just said in my brain, is it true? Who gave you the authority to determine whether or not God loves you? And you start processing things like that. Well, God says He loves me. Who am I to say that He doesn't? But understand that. But then number three, write down this. How do I feel when I have this thought? How does it feel when I have this thought? You see, when you have a negative thought, you get stimulated. Well, if God doesn't love me, then, you know, you get stimulated inside. Negative thoughts can be addictive like that. How does, it, how does it feel when I have this thought? But it also feels bad, right? And here's another question with that. How do I act because of that thought? And it would be easy to say, well, if God doesn't love me, if God hasn't chosen me, which He's chosen all of us, it's whether or not you choose Him. But if, he, if, he, if you want to believe He doesn't love you, you can believe that. You're the supervisor of that thought. It's not a feeling thought. How do I act because of that? Well, I'll go out and do anything I want. Cain went out and murdered. God doesn't love me. Number four, what is the outcome of that thought? What is the outcome of it? Write it down. And number five, how would I feel or act if I didn't have that thought? 
and better. What if I believed the truth that God does love me? What is the outcome if I have that thought? Whole different life, isn't it? And so if you do this enough, you'll train your brain, you'll train yourself to manage and direct your thoughts as opposed to just being a victim of your thoughts all day long. You can manage and direct your thoughts. One of the most difficult things for me to discipline my brain over the last couple of years is, you know, to have some right thinking about the death of Angela. And over the last couple of years, my brain has wanted, wanted to take me off course, take me off track so many times. John, you just need to give up. You just need to run away. You just need to let pain rule your life. You deserve sometimes. Uh, John, be mad at God. God should not have done this, but I have, I have to keep coming back to the truth. I've had to train my brain in those moments to stop. No, I'm not going to think that way. I'm not going to continue down this path. I'm going to stop, and I'm going to bring truth into it. My life has changed because of it. Take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ, is what the Scripture says. And look, today... I'm moving forward. He brings good things into your life if you just wait long enough. Take captive your thoughts. Believe the truth. Believe it. And listen, if you're serious about this, you'll go home today and you'll write down, you'll take time to write down the hundred or however many you want to, negative thoughts that just plague your mind. And you'll take them through this process and you'll learn the process of, you know what? That thought didn't help me. It just made things worse. Now, let me say this. I'm not a proponent of faith teachings that encourage us to ignore reality uh, by being so positive. You know, oh, just be positive. Oh, don't say that. I don't believe in the Christian voodoo stuff out there, all right? I, and some of you will find that offensive. I hope not. I don't mean to offend you. Um, reroute your thinking, okay? <laughs> I don't mean to offend you. I just, I call it Christian voodoo because it's so devastating. People who believe that stuff die early. Don't ignore reality. What you've got to do is embrace reality and put your positive godly spin on it. Faith, trusting Him, even though this situation is here. So take your thoughts captive, make your thoughts accurate, and trust Him with His Word. James David, would you come? So how can you begin right now? Make your brain a priority of your life. Make it a priority. Treat it as it needs to be treated. Come on, we go, we go get heart scans, liver scans, spleen scans. I don't know what all scans we get. But how, how often do we get a brain scan like that? Only when you get hurt. And there are some things that you can do right now to begin to take care of your mental health. But your brain, your physical brain. I wanted to bring a... Um, can you unmute him, John? Thank you, bud. So I wanted to bring a, uh, a, a big wad of hamburger meat and just put it there. But that would have just been gross. Liz would have freaked out because she tries to keep this little thing clean and sanitized. We serve communion on it for Pete's sake. But just to show you, you think about it. It's just a piece of meat. And how absolutely amazing that piece of meat is. That your life's memories are stored in there. And there's electric. There's communication. There's all kinds of stuff going on inside your head. In that piece of meat, it's absolutely astounding what God created up there. It's amazing. And how important it is.
for your life to be healthy in your relationships and every part of your life to be able to be taken care of. And, and King Solomon, he wrote something that he, he was reminiscing his father, who was King David. Y'all have heard of King David? Absolutely the best king ever, right? And he was reminiscing when his father would put him on his lap and the things that his father taught him. And I want to read that to you, the description that he had of it. He said, when I was a boy at my father's knee, sitting on my father's knee, the pride and joy of my mother, my father would sit me down and he would drill me. What does that mean? He'd hammer this into my head. He would drill me over and over and over and over. This is what I want you to hear, son, if you do anything with your life, this is what I want you to get. Take this to heart. Do what I tell you. Live. Sell everything and buy wisdom. What is he saying? It's the most valuable part of your life. Forage understanding. Don't forget one word. Don't deviate an inch. He's talking about the things that he's taught him. He says, never walk away from wisdom. She guards your life. Love her. She keeps her eye on you. He's talking about his intellectual ability, having wisdom, the ability to process, the ability to think through life and problem solve and do what's right in a time of struggle. Above all and before all, do this. Get wisdom. Write this at the top of your list. This is King David telling his little boy this. Get understanding. Throw your arms around her. Believe me, you won't regret it. Never let her go. She'll make your life glorious. She'll garland your life with grace. She'll festoon your days with beauty. The ability for you to have cognitive awareness and wisdom especially wisdom from heaven. And the story goes on. One day, Solomon was asked by God, Solomon, I will give you anything you ask for. What do you want? And Solomon could have asked for beautiful women. He could have asked him for the greatest power in the world. He could have asked him for all the money in the world. But instead of all of that, Solomon said, I know the answer to that, God. My daddy taught me. I want wisdom. I want the ability to be able to think clearly and lead your people well. Would you please give me that? And God was so pleased with that. He gave it all. Secondly, discipline your brain. You tell you where to go and what to do. No longer is your brain like a child running around the room. You've got to discipline. Discipline your brain. When you have a thought that's wrong, that's negative, grab it back and you, you cultivate that thought and find out if it's true before you think it again. Take captive thoughts. The more you train yourself, the easier it's going to be. The mocker seeks wisdom and finds none, but knowledge comes easily to the understanding. You'll begin to find knowledge easily. It will just come to you because you've sought it and you want it. Eventually, the good side of life is going to become easier for you. And let me say this. Be careful with who you're hanging out with. Who you hang out with at lunch, where you go and what you do, the people that you hang out with. Be careful. Scripture says, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Makes sense, doesn't it? You see, knowing and seeing the negative in all situations seems so wise, it seems so healthy to be able to say, oh, I can see right through those people. I can see right through this situation. No, you're probably just making it all up based upon your own experiences. It seems so wise. Well, I don't want to get hurt by these people. It seems so, but look what the scripture says. It says, but the wisdom that comes 
from, from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. It's all good. That's from heaven. That's good thinking. So finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, all of it, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, the Apostle Paul said, think about such things. Isn't that beautiful? Would you bow your heads? to go home and change for you to be healthier stronger to be all that God created you to be to think better to feel better what can you do today all of us could improve in all of these areas probably what is it maybe that God is speaking to you right now? I would encourage you just to choose one thing. Now, this is what I'm going to focus on, and I'll get to some of the other stuff later, but today, what is it, God, that you want me to focus on to change, to fix, to do differently? God, speak to us. Only you know, really, the inner workings of our brains and our bodies. We need health and strength. We need mental health. And I believe, God, that you want your church to be full of people that are happy and healthy and strong in every way of our lives. I believe that. And so, God, help us to know, lead us, guide us, and tutor us along the way. In Jesus' name. And today I want to ask you, have you made him Lord of your life? You see, insanity doesn't stop until you do that. It only begins, sanity only begins when you make Him number one in your life, when you put Him in your life as King and Lord of Lords. That's where wisdom begins. That's where sanity begins. And if you've lived a life of confusion, frustration, not knowing what to do and what's right and what's wrong, it's time to end that, and it's time to make Him Lord of your life. God, thank you. I invite you into my life today. Just do it right now. I want you to be number one in my life, and I want to learn from you what's good and pleasing to you. I want to get to know who you are and what you like and don't like, and I want to accommodate for you in my life for the rest of my life, to live, breathe with you in my life. In Jesus' name, I Thank you for coming into my life.